It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Ainsley Earhart. I'm Brett Bear. I'm Katie Pavlich, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Wednesday, December 20th, 2023. I'm Dave Anthony. There is a new show of force in the Middle East to stop attacks on ships that are disrupting global trade and blamed on an American enemy. Number one state sponsor of terrorism, and at some point in time, after 40 years, in killing hundreds of Americans, Iran needs to be held accountable for their actions. And Lisa Brady. In the internet age, after hours isn't always private anymore. And that's costing some people their jobs. I think we have to have serious conversations around what does privacy look like. And we have, I believe, an obligation to to fight for that privacy. Otherwise, it will be completely trampled over. And I'm Tom Shalou. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. It's called Operation Prosperity Guardian, a new international force the U.S. is leading to deal with a threat to commercial shipping in the Middle East. After attacks just about every day recently in and around the Red Sea off the coast of Yemen, where oil tankers and cargo ships have been fired at by Iran-backed Houthi rebels. Some of those ships have been hit and damaged. These attacks are reckless dangerous, and they violate international law. And so we're taking action to uh, build an international coalition to address this threat. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin helped build the coalition in Bahrain this week to try to secure safe passage for ships in that region after some companies like BP and Maersk said they would avoid that shipping lane. I think that Secretary Austin did a very good job in pulling this together. Kirk Lippold is a retired Navy commander who is all too familiar with a ship being attacked off the coast of Yemen, as you'll soon hear. The United States has a vested interest, along with other countries in the world, to safeguard those international maritime waterways to ensure that you do have the free and unimpeded flow of shipping to carry these goods around the world, to carry oil around the world, and make sure that economies can function and be able to enjoy the prosperity that we here at home enjoy. The oil is a big factor here, right? And right in Yemen and the Gulf of Aden? Yemen sits at the southwest corner of the Arabian Peninsula. And the Red Sea pretty much runs between Egypt and the east coast of Africa and the Saudi Arabian Peninsula and Yemen down at the bottom. And as you come through the Suez Canal, up at the very top, right around the corner, is Elat, which is a major port for Israel. Then you come down the Red Sea, you have a narrow strait at the bottom called the Strait of Bab al-Mandeb that shipping has to go through. In a little bit of background, you had these Houthi rebels that years ago felt that they were a disenfranchised minority. They challenged the government of Yemen that was backed by Saudi Arabia, and it somewhat turned into a proxy war between Saudi Arabia and Iran that were arming up the government of Yemen versus the Houthi rebels. What has happened since is the Houthi rebels now control the capital of Sana'a. The government is south in Aden and the southern part of the country. 
Iran sees this as an opportunity to further destabilize the entire Middle East region. They have armed the Houthi rebels up with missiles and with drones that have allowed them to attack shipping in the Red Sea, the Strait of Bab el-Mandeb, and then south even by the Gulf of Aden, south of Yemen itself. And it has been these attacks on shipping that the U.S. Navy has responded to that has caused a lot of these shipping companies to now begin to pause operations or avoid that area entirety. And we also need to remember almost 12% or more of the world's economy flows through that area of the world. Are we doing enough? We have had, in addition to these attacks on ships in the Red Sea and that strait you spoke of in the Gulf of Aden, there have been also attacks aimed at American forces based in Iraq and Syria all since the war in Gaza broke out, you know, two and a half months ago, essentially. Do you think we've done enough in response and retaliation? I think at this point, the biggest problem in the responses we've had is that we are not doing enough to solve the problem, not the symptom. We are in a reactive mode around the world. Being in a reactive mode has proven successful in thwarting the threat to date. However, it is only a matter of time before the one of these missiles or a drone gets through, and the last thing you wanna have are US service members killed as a result of our inability to not actually put together a strike package target the Houthi missile sites, their command and control, their ammunition dumps, and eliminate the threat itself. So we are falling short in the long-term objective of safeguarding our U.S. service members. And even with this Operation Prosperity Guardian that Secretary Austin has put together with a coalition of countries willing to safeguard the freedom of navigation on the high seas that include the Red Sea and the Gulf of Aden, it is going to fall sharp short if we do not actually target the facilities that are firing these missiles to begin with. And that starts with looking at Iran. Now his concern about the safety of Americans off the Yemen coast is personal. Back on October 12, 2000, Commander Lippold was at the helm of the USS Cole when the Navy destroyer was attacked by al-Qaeda terrorists in a small boat, killing 17 American crew members on the coal. On that day, we had pulled into the port of Aden, Yemen, that sits at the southwest corner of the Arabian Peninsula for a brief stop for fuel, expecting to be there six to eight hours. We had started taking on fuel that morning at about uh, 1130, or excuse me, at about 1030. We had been refueling for just over 45 minutes when at 1118 in the morning, a waterborne improvised explosive device came alongside our ship and detonated It blew a 40 by 40 foot hole in the side of the ship, unfortunately killed, as you mentioned, 17 sailors, wounded 37. My crew responded magnificently. They were able to stabilize the ship in a little over an hour. Within 99 minutes, we had evacuated 33 wounded off the ship into local hospitals. And of those 33, 32 would survive. But at the end of the day, in a larger picture, the response to that attack never happened. Two administrations, two presidents, Presidents Clinton and Bush, neither responded. Bin Laden, who had planned that attack, was infuriated. And in fact, it emboldened him. And unfortunately, 11 months later, we had the attacks of 9-11. 
if we allow these attacks in the Red Sea and throughout the Middle East, that Iran is behind virtually all of them, in Iraq, in Syria, in Lebanon, clearly what's going on with Israel and Hamas, and now what's going on with the Houthi rebels in the Red Sea targeting international shipping, the response is going to be they're going to continue to think they can operate with a free hand and destabilize the region anymore. So the United States, in concert with our allies, must consider what we can do. First and foremost, I believe, put sanctions back into place and make them so economically punishing that it takes Iran's breath away. Then if they continue those attacks, we have to consider the fact that although no one wants another Middle East war, if Iran, a country on the cusp of obtaining a nuclear weapon, seeks conflict, then we must ensure that they are not able to conduct it and that, in fact, we take that government down. Now, we do have the supposed and suspected mastermind of the coal. He's at Guantanamo now, right? Yes. Al-Nashiri was captured several years ago. He is in Guantanamo Bay awaiting a military commission. But that's a whole nother political ball of wax that is unfortunate that it has taken this long that justice delayed is justice denied. And it's been denied for the crew and the families for over 20 years. You know, you worry about attacks. That one, they got close to the ship on a boat. Didn't have drones like we have today, right? I mean, the technology, the ability to attack is even greater, right? It is. And when you look at it, it's we're really fighting the wrong type of war. Because while you always want to eliminate a threat as far out as possible, how much does a drone cost? Okay, tens of thousands, maybe a couple hundred thousand at most if they're sophisticated. And yet we're taking them out with surface to air missiles costing well over two million dollars a piece. So the the cost effectiveness of what we're doing does not make sense. And while you don't want it to get closer we're going to continue expending high-priced ammunition on a threat that should be eliminated at its source before it even fires. That's why it's going to be so important for us to put together a strike package and eliminate the threat that the Houthi rebels have. And then another consideration is start checking shipping going into Yemen to ensure that nothing can get into the country from Iran that is going to enable the Houthi rebels to continue this targeting and shooting at maritime shipping in that region. Why do you think we haven't done what you say we should do? Are we trying not to provoke Iran? I don't think it's a matter of provoking Iran. I'd like to give a little bit of credit, and I think that the Biden administration truly does not want an expansion of any conflict in the Middle East until Israel has been given the operational maneuvering room to utterly destroy Hamas which I believe everyone wants to have happen. Once that has occurred, then I think you're going to see the world turn and they're going to look at Iran and say, enough. And they're going to start with sanctions and they're going to go from there. And I believe that, the, that you're going to see the world confront the number one state sponsor of terrorism. But you can't have, there aren't enough ships to escort all the commercial vessels out there, right? I mean, how do you do it? 
not right now. We're putting this coalition together. Hopefully it come. Clearly, most two will in the news right now. Obviously, the Gerald Ford Strike Group in the Eastern Mediterranean. You have the Eisenhower Battle Group that is now coming out of the Persian Gulf and is now going to operate further south in the Gulf of Aden. You've heard of the USS Mason. Obviously, USS Kearney is doing a phenomenal job. Those sailors out there today and the Navy are doing a great job. What is going to happen now is you're going to have other ships join this coalition that Secretary Austin put together, and you're going to be able to have both capability and larger numbers of ships to safeguard those sea lanes of communication to ensure that the maritime traffic can freely operate in that region without threat. So if I'm one of these companies like BP or Maersk or any of these, why would I put my ships through there until we do what you want done? Think back to the late 1980s when you had the Iran and Iraq war going on. We were escorting tankers. What they called the tanker wars were going on and the tankers going in and out of the Middle East were being targeted. There was an Operation Earnest Will that allowed us to escort those tankers to make sure that there was free passage for them and that they were able to do it safely without threats from either Iraq or Iran when they were involved in their war and the targeting of shipping was occurring. It shows that these conflicts just go on and on, don't they? Unfortunately, yes. And then when you really look at it, who's the root cause of every single one of the destabilizing actions in the Middle East? It is Iran. Number one state sponsor of terrorism. And at some point in time, after 40 years in killing hundreds of Americans, Iran needs to be held accountable for their actions. Retired Navy Commander Kirk Lippold, thank you so much for joining us. Great to talk to you again. Thank you very much. Wonderful to be on the show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. I'm Emily Campagno, host of the Fox True Crime Podcast. In 2003, elementary school vice principal Vincent Brothers murdered his wife, mother-in-law, and his three young children. I spoke to retired FBI Supervisory Special Agent Mark Safrick about his work on the case and why this crime scene was so unique. Available now on Apple, Spotify, and foxnewspodcast.com. This is Tom Shalhoub with your Fox News commentary. Coming up... One of the more unusual ripple effects from the COVID-19 pandemic has been the rise of a new kind of adult entertainment. People with regular jobs, if you will, posting adult content after hours for subscription-based websites, including OnlyFans. One trade association for the adult entertainment industry estimates two to three million people now do it. I don't regret it. Brianna Coppage has a master's in education and was working on a third degree and paying off student loans when she started posting on OnlyFans to supplement her modest salary as a teacher at St. Clair High School outside St. Louis, Missouri, until a parent and then district officials found out about sexually explicit content. Coppage and another teacher were suspended and she later resigned. I still strongly feel that people are allowed 
to have personal lives outside of their career. These websites have attracted online influencers and celebrities too. Baywatch star Donna D'Errico tells Fox News. I would love to clear the misconception that every female Email, I guess, that's on OnlyFans is doing porn. It's just not true. In fact, model and actress Carol Alt tells Fox News Digital she just considers it another way to connect with fans. I knew it had, you know, a shady kind of uh, image at the moment, but it started out as a music platform where musicians and chefs and all kinds of people went on. And still to this day, there's people doing yoga and all kinds of crazy stuff on there. But posting adult content has led to people in a variety of jobs getting fired, including a New York City administrative law judge and two teachers in Lake Havasu City, Arizona, a married couple accused of filming explicit content on school property. One Florida mom sued her son's school district, claiming she was no longer allowed to volunteer because of posts on OnlyFans. People have historically always turned to sex work in times of you know, economic downturn. Derek J. Demery is an employment law attorney at Zeff Law Firm in Philadelphia and New Jersey. I think there's a long history of people uh, learning about it and then it becoming a, a public fervor, but it's certainly nothing new. Not only teachers who've been outed in one way or another have been fired. Two were suspended in Missouri and then at least one of them resigned as opposed to being Uh fired. Two other teachers were fired. They were a couple, but they were accused of making sexually explicit content on school grounds. Is there less legal recourse in a case like that? Well, I would and I don't know the particulars of that case, but I would imagine there are certainly rules on, uh, you know, engaging in sexual activity on school or employer grounds, regardless of whether it's that activity is being recorded. So, um, yes, I can imagine there are certainly rules and that might be, you know, if that's the case, that might be a reasonable basis to terminate someone's employment. But that is certainly different than someone engaging in private activity in their own home. Yeah, I mean, broadly, um, for cases like this, how much do the details matter? For instance, when a video is made on public property instead of private property. I mean, can, you know, can the case actually hinge on that? Let's say if someone's fired and they're challenging it. Sure. I mean, you know, I, I practice full time in employment discrimination, and I can tell you that in every single case, every detail matters and you know something that you don't think would typically uh come up in a a court document all of a sudden uh lawyers are arguing about it i mean it's very standard for every single fact to matter and uh you know i know it's a very lawyer answer but you know it depends on the circumstances in general can an employer tell you what you can or cannot do on your own time So, I mean, obviously, you know, an employer can tell you, you know, don't violate the the criminal law, you know, don't go out and murder someone. You know, it's certainly reasonable (laughs) to have that expectation from your employer uh, as well as just anyone in society. But, you know, when it comes to what you're doing, um, engaging in sexual activity that is consensual, whether it's in the privacy of your bedroom or, you know, it's being broadcasted publicly among very limited, restricted uh, uh, avenues where people, others can access that recording. 
Uh, you know, those are different things. And if an employer is engaging activity or is making determinations about employment based on sex, that's crossing into territory that is likely going to violate uh, Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. What about the type of job that someone has? Should that make a difference? Um, you know, for instance, teachers or others who work with children, should they be held to a different standard because of that? Or is it illegal to hold them to a different standard? You know, a job, uh, the job duties, job title, those are certainly relevant factors in the discussion here, but they're not the end of the discussion. And, you know, teachers, like everyone else, they have a right to privacy after the job ends. Uh, they are human beings and they are usually uh, severely underpaid for what the expectations are for them as leaders of our community. Um, and so just because someone works with children and then they go home afterwards and without any children around in the bedroom, you know, they're engaging in a, a consensual adult activity, you know, that certainly should not be something that restricts them, restricts them from engaging uh, and working with children. Could someone who loses a job over something like this claim financial hardship, even as justification for having this kind of side gig in the first place? I mean, for some people, this has become a way to pay off debt, including student loan debt. Absolutely. I mean, like any victim of uh, discrimination or retaliation, if you suffer some kind of adverse employment action, whether that's uh, termination or you're denied a promotion because of a protected characteristic such as sex, you are likely going to suffer some kind of wage loss as a result of that. And there are recourses available for that. When people start a new job, especially in an area like education, is it becoming more common, you know, to have to sign anything that says you won't take part in making any sort of adult content or, you know, to agree to some other sort of restriction that would sort of cross the line into your free time? Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen anything specific to some kind of ban on engaging in adult content creation. Um, but it, I would say it's not unusual for an employer to have some kind of provision in uh, an employment contract that says they can't uh, moonlight outside of working hours, especially if someone has a salary job where you're expected to be available for your employer, you know, theoretically 24 seven, um, obviously no one is working those hours, but you're at least available if something were to come up and under those types of jobs, sure. It's pretty standard to see some kind of prohibition on moonlighting, uh, working for another job. Right. So as you say, details matter. And a lot of this comes down mm -hmm. to the individual circumstance, what agreements might be in place, the individual type of job. When it comes to the OnlyFans site, you know, users are supposed to be at least 18 years old. And so right. depending on the teachers involved in these cases and who they're teaching, it, it shouldn't, in theory, even be an option for students to see it or even accidentally see it. Um, Absolutely. But you know, maybe the parents could. And so maybe that's how it becomes an issue. And it is in at least one of the cases. Are these teachers getting penalized for having accounts because students could find their content? Or is it because of the backlash that could come from parents finding it? And then legally, does that impact how they might try to, you know, defend themselves um, or to bring a challenge if they've been fired? Sure. I mean, as you also said, you know, the facts matter. And of course, 
Uh, it may be used as a defense by a school that you know parents found out and it caused some kind of disruption. But ultimately, I don't see how a parent who is not being educated by this teacher how their discovery of adult content should somehow impact their child's educational upbringing, right? So, you know, it's a factor, but just like any other person, the teacher is going to go home and have sex or engage in sexual activity. So the fact that it's being recorded and is available to, again, some limited people under specific circumstances, you know, that, that shouldn't change the calculus at the end of the day. Is there a slippery slope developing here where, you know, an employer here, they're perhaps taking action if they feel someone's, you know, outside interests or online pursuits are objectionable? What about in other ways? Maybe they discover that someone's a content creator for gun enthusiasts or they have controversial political beliefs or just, you know, in general, there's other things that could raise a red flag for certain people. So, are we in danger of crossing into that territory where more and more things on our own time could lead to, you know, a perceived line being crossed in the workplace, even though it didn't happen in the workplace? Sure. And, you know, typically, I think most people, when they think of, uh, you know, a teacher, they're thinking of a public school teacher. And if it's a public school teacher, they have particular First Amendment rights to engage in speech outside of their job. And that's a little bit of what you're hinting at there. And we can talk about that. And that's a whole other separate topic. But here, you know, I think we're talking about adult creation. We're talking about sexual activity, which has the potential to implicate a protected characteristic, um, which is very, very strictly controlled under anti-discrimination law. Um, And when people discriminate against uh, sex workers, against people who engage in adult content creation, it has a very real possibility of violating these laws, which, you know, talking about being a gun enthusiast, for example, that would not implicate anti-discrimination law uh, in the same way. So they are different. It sounds like overall, though, that privacy rights um, have a lot of precedence here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and I think the, the right to privacy, as we enter and really build our society around the the internet, the age of the internet and technology as it exists today, everything is so interconnected. And when our constitution was created when we we first developed the ideas around the right to privacy you know those framers had no idea that the internet would exist the way it does today or that it would even be a possibility and so i think we have to have serious conversations around what does privacy look like and we have i believe an obligation to to fight for that privacy otherwise it will be completely trampled over and um that's not the kind of world that I want to live in personally. Derek J. Demery, employment law attorney, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you for having me.
I'm Dana Perino. This week on Perino on Politics, while early voting states will play a key role in determining which candidate will receive their party's nomination, swing states are critical for determining who will win the election. This week, I'm joined by Philadelphia-based radio host and former GOP strategist Rich Zioli for a look at what issues matter most to voters there. Available now on Apple, Spotify, and foxnewspodcast.com. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Tom Shalhoub. What's on your mind? The folks at the rundown asked me, Tom, do you have any warm Christmas memories for our final thoughts? Well, of course I do. Although, when I think back to childhood memories, invariably, it's the things that went wrong. One Christmas morning, we all came downstairs. We had to make sure all five kids came in at the same time. And there were presents under the tree, but there was a big wet spot in the middle of the wrapped gifts. The color from the wrapping paper was bleeding out into the other presents. It was a real mess. What happened here, my mother said. Did the tree spring a leak? But my brother and I knew what had happened. A week before, we visited my dad's work, and his colleague gave us each a wrapped gift. Don't open that till Christmas, he said. Thank you. We won't. And then we held the presents up to our ears and we shook them just a little bit, just trying to figure out what was inside. The man smirked and he said, Oh, do you hear a ticking sound? Make sure you boys soak those in water before you open them. And he and my dad laughed. But we didn't get the joke. And we quickly forgot all about it. Then on Christmas Eve, in the middle of the night, my brother woke me up. Tommy, we forgot to soak those presents in water. We went downstairs, we got the presents. Santa had already come, so we tried not to look. We grabbed the gifts, we took them into the bathroom, filled up the sink, and we held them under water until bubbles came out. After a minute or so, we took them out, tossed them back under the tree, went back up to bed. What the heck happened here, my dad said in the morning. Me and Billy soaked the presents. Remember, that guy told us to. He was only kidding. Only kidding? That possibility hadn't occurred to us. So now we had to modify one of the rules. Be polite, say thank you, do what adults tell you to do, unless they're only kidding. By the way, the presents were a couple of furry wind-up toys. They never really worked right after we had drowned them on Christmas Eve. But we kept them as a reminder. Don't do everything adults tell you to do. I'm Tom Shalhoub. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.